And the last thing is that we are in our Psalm Song series. Real quick, Psalm Songs is where we take a secular song that applies to an actual psalm, and we connect those two things so that the next time you hear that song in, on your car radio, your brain will go to the psalm and your heart will be encouraged. I've already been approached by somebody that said I wrecked a song for them last week because now all they can think about is the psalm that I, we connected it with. That's what we're trying to do. So listen, if you know this song, join right in.
you're really going to hear that on your radio dial anytime soon, unless you're listening to hits from the 90s. But uh, it, it suited uh, the psalm that we're using this morning for sure. And, you know, a phrase that I didn't even recognize or even realize when we picked this song was, and I heard it this morning, was, I've been locked up way too long in this crazy world. And I thought, wow, that is fitting, isn't it? I had no idea that that's where we were going to be. How far is heaven? Well, you know... Um, my husband and I happen to live near the Madison County Airport. Um, uh, we're probably, I don't know if we're within the flight path of that, but we are within distance, and so I often see small planes um, flying overhead. We're probably a mile and a half away from that. And this is significant to me because my father was a pilot, um, like a, a small-time pilot. We had a Cessna 172 that we shared ownership with three other families so that we could all just have enough time that we could actually get in that plane. And, um, and one of the things, it was just a, a four-seater, one of the things I absolutely loved as a child was the airport picnic. You probably didn't know there was such a thing, right? The airport, the local airport held a picnic every year for anyone who had rented hangar space. And what they did was they all just did a big potluck, and this was not a Christian community. It wasn't anything like that. But it, do you know what a touch and go is? If there's any pilots in here, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, hopefully your, your um, you know, American Airlines is not doing a touch and go. If, if you're doing a touch and go, that's not a good sign. But, but a touch and go in a small plane is they come in for a landing, they just set their wheels down, and they just keep right on going and they, and they take off. Well, the touch and goes at the, at the airport picnic was a, like a pinata and they threw candy out the windows. So all the little children would line up near the, the runway and they would, and everybody was given a paper sack. Do you remember what those are? That's what we took to our lunches to school in. Maybe other people had other things in them these days, but that we used to be bologna sandwiches. But anyway, you, everybody got a paper sack and you stood there and you waited for the plane to come in and the candy went everywhere and then, the, and then they would lift off and there was no danger and the kids just swarmed the runway and just gathered candy like their life depended on it, like a pinata had burst. Well, I, I mean, I was cleaning up. You know what I mean? I am out there. I don't know how old I was, maybe five or seven, and I am just packing the candy in this bag, and I'm so excited, and I go, I get all the way done, and I look up. There was a hole in the bottom of my paper sack. I had exactly zero candy, and I was just a little salty about it. You know, I don't, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever felt like you have been working at something so hard. And you have been gathering things so hard. You have been doing this thing in life, and you thought you were making headway. You thought you were making progress. And all of a sudden, you look at this container of your life, and there is a hole in the bottom of that bag. And whatever it is that you were collecting, whatever it is you were putting energy to, into, does not seem to be accumulating. And you're just weary. You are done. You are tired. And you would really like to know how close heaven is because sometimes we wish it was a lot closer than it perhaps is. What do you do when you feel like you're not winning? What do you feel, what do you do when all of your hard work isn't paying off? When you actually try to do something good in life and, you, and you've done all the right things, but it wasn't received the way you intended it, you didn't get what you hoped for, your goals aren't met, and you're not really certain they're ever going to be. And you're not certain they're ever really going to be met. My point is, life can get discouraging. Life can get discouraging. And if it isn't discouraging for you in this moment, take out a pen and write down some things because you might need this later. 
right? Sometimes we have days, we have weeks, we have years that are just heavy, that there's a lot of things on you. And, uh, and I don't want this to be a discouraging message today. I, I hope this is a message of encouragement for you because there are just years when you are killing it and there are years that are just killing you. You know, and I don't know where you are this morning, but I, I think I can guess where a lot of us are at this morning. Um, one of the things I love about Scripture, one of the things I love about the Bible is it's not just filled with people who are at the top of their game. I love the fact that we get a bird's eye view into the lives of real people who the years are killing them and they are, they are struggling. And here's why we know about it. Somebody journaled. Somebody wrote stuff down. Can I just encourage you right now? I don't know if you journal or not. I don't know if you keep track or record of your life in any way other than the bazillion text messages that you send all day long. But I would just encourage you that, goodness, I was going to say 200 years, maybe 20 years from now, in children's textbooks, there's going to be somebody's analysis of everything that just went on this year. Somebody's going to analyze that. And, and when we write down our perspective, that's what historians study. That's what, they, that's what they study. So I just encourage you to write stuff down um, that's happening. You know, how, your perception, whatever, how that's going down. David in the Psalms, David who wrote most of the Psalms, was a great journaler. It helps that he was a songwriter. So he wrote a lot of things down and set them to a tune. But he had a lot of things to say. And, uh, and so we get a lot of uh, insight into how he was experiencing life. This is what he says in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I go to the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And then down at the end of the psalm, he says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I would suggest to you that nobody writes this kind of a psalm unless they have maybe been thinking about running off. R-U-N-N-O-F-T right? Running off, if anybody makes that reference. When, you, when you're talking about how far away is God, that's somebody who's maybe thought about running from him. This is kind of somebody who's had a Jonah moment, and it's like, God, I know what you've told me to do, but I'm, I'm checking out of here. I really don't want to, to be a part of this. And, and by the time you get to the end of it, you obviously are reading from somebody who recognizes that you can't escape God, that he's there. In the midst of our discouragement, in the midst of everything that's going on, he is there. I'm going to take us this morning to an Old Testament prophet who had a, a runoff moment, a moment when he tried to get away, when he felt like he had a, a paper sack with a hole in it and everything he had been doing wasn't working. And uh, it's a good story. Let's just read the text. If you've got a Bible or you're uh, working off of a device, we're going to 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19. And uh, we're going to read all 18 verses uh, pretty quickly here. It's a story, so it's easy to follow along, and then we're going to unpack it a little bit. Are you with me? Now Ahab, that's a king, told Jezebel, his queen, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets and the sword. 
back up to the previous chapter if you want more on that, okay? So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. That's somebody pulling a curse upon themselves, right? Be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. And Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. He prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And he fell down under, a, he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some baked bread, uh, bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. I don't know if you've ever heard of angel food cake. This apparently is angel food bread. I mean, I don't, I don't know if the angel baked it, if the angel just picked it up at Panera and dropped it there. I don't really know, but I, I bet it was pretty good. All right, a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. The journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. This is the mountain of God where Moses spent a whole lot of time talking to God and getting the Ten Commandments, just for reference. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death by the sword, and I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went out and stood at the mouth of the cave, and a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death by the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any that escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, and all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. All right, let's tear into this a little bit. Elijah is coming off of the most incredible victory that I, any prophet has had in the Old Testament. Understand that as the prophet of God, he has a job to do. He's going out and, and declaring God's word. And one of the things God said was, go and declare that because of the evilness of this uh, king and the way this country is going, there's going to be a famine in the land for three years. So he announces a famine. And then three years later, God says, okay, go announce that it's over. He announces that it's over. Do you understand that if you don't believe in God and some grumpy looking dude shows up and says, there's going to be a famine and there's no rain. And then he says, there's going to be rain and there's rain. You think he's pretty powerful. 
It's really God. But if you don't believe in that, you believe, a lot of people were scared of these prophets. These early prophets were grumpy. Some of them were were bald and cranky and did, I mean, and and I don't know. It's just an interesting crew. But regardless, Elijah is a powerful man. He represents God and all of his power. People thought he had the power when, when God would heal someone or whatever. And a lot of sermons I've heard over the years make fun of Elijah in this particular chapter for being scared of a woman. Oh, he's just scared of evil Jezebel. Well, I I don't know if he's just scared of Jezebel, but to be fair, she put a bounty on his head, right? There's now a bounty on his head because she's announced that he's going to die and her prophets are going to take care of it, all the rest of it. And so the scripture is very clear. He was afraid and he ran for his life. I happen to think that he's discouraged, I happen to think Elijah is just in this spot where, doggone it, he has done the good work. You've heard him say it. I've done the thing. Uh, You know, we just had this big showdown on Mount Carmel where it was the prophets of Baal against the prophets of God, and God showed himself powerful, and the rain came to end the famine, and we still have an evil king on the throne and an evil queen, and people are still not following Jesus. They're God at this point, and I'm I'm just done. I'm tired of the whole thing. I'm discouraged. What does it take to discourage you? I heard someone say one time, that's the measure of a person. Not not the good things that they accomplish. What does it really take you to knock you off of your foundation? What does it take to discourage you? What does it take you to, to take to get you to the place of saying, God, I am out. Just take me off this planet. How, clo- how far is heaven? Because I'd really like to be there right now. That is a preferable spot to where I am right now. I am just discouraged. You know, I just need a nap. And Elijah needs a couple of naps, a long one, because this is not working. And I'm telling you, we get to a place in our life, depending on your age, and you're like, you know, I will just suggest if you're over 50, you use a different measuring stick, a different measuring tape for your life. And you're like, you know, do I even have any time left to do the things I thought I was going to do? If you're under 50, you're like, yeah, I can do it. I got energy, got time. I can, you know what I mean? You, gotta, you can schedule things. You think you're going to live long enough to do stuff. You get to a point in your life, and you're like, well, I've done, I've done something stuff, but there's clearly a few other things I'm never going to get to. It's never going to happen. And you can decide if you're going to be discouraged about that. But I'm telling you, here's another reality. Be careful what measuring stick you use. I I knew a builder one time who thought he would uh, buy some discount measuring tapes and handed them out to all his carpenters. And they were just printed a little badly. You do not want to use a measuring tape to build a house that is not printed well. You start trying to build something with the wrong measuring stick and and everything will be unstable. Everything will be unstable. And sometimes the things that we use to measure whether we're being successful in life, whether we're really making it, obviously Elijah's measuring stick is not accurate here. He is not clear about whether or not he is doing what God wants him to do, and it's a struggle. And so he's like, I quit, I went out, and so he runs off. And he does. He quits, he sleeps too much, he forgets to eat, he isolates, and he wants a ticket off the planet. He wants a ticket out of life. I think this is absolutely ironic because if you really wanted a ticket off the planet, if you really, really wanted to just check out, why are you hiding in the wilderness instead of just walking up to the palace? 
Jezebel will take you out, apparently. She's threatened. She's ready. She's got assassins there. If you really want out of the, out of the business, dude, just go to the palace. Why are you hiding in the wilderness and going, God, take me home? Because I think he wanted an easy way home. He, he, wanted, he wanted to pick his exit, right? And I'm, I'm here to tell you, you don't get to pick your exit. An exit will be provided for us, but we don't get to choose it. We don't get to choose the timing. We don't get to do that. Here's what I think that Elijah was thinking. This particular mountain that he ends up on, and even going out into the wilderness, this is how Moses died. Now, Moses is a prophet from Genesis. We're in 1 Kings, right? It says, man, I don't know how many years. I didn't do the calculation. But Moses is the man. He is the prophet. He's the one who gave us the law. And if you know anything about the history of Moses, this is how Moses died. Moses didn't get to go in the promised land. God took him up on the mountain and said, good job. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, not exactly. But he said, you know, you've done a good job because of thus and so. You're not going to go in. But, you know, just I'm going to take you home right here. And it says that Moses died on that mountain and God buried him and nobody knows where he is. I don't know who wrote that, but regardless, right, that that's how that happened, that he gets to go and God just kind of takes, I wonder if Elijah is hoping for the same treatment. God, can you just like take me up on a mountain? I've done my good work. Can you just say, well done, good and faithful servant and take me home? I wonder if he was hoping for that. Elijah does not know that he's the only prophet who's going to get to go to heaven in a chariot of fire. He's one of two people who leave the planet without ever experiencing what we would all recognize as a physical death. He just gets to translate up into a whirlwind. And I mean, he doesn't know that. He doesn't know that's coming. So I think he's looking for a way out. But I'm telling you, he doesn't get to pick that. So when he's saying, God, just come and take me. I'm ready to go. God doesn't take him home. Instead, God sends help. Instead of taking him home, he sends help. Sometimes when we're in the midst of discouragement, we're really wanting to just exit. We really want an escape, and instead God sends help. This is what God sends. God comforts. God provides. God draws him near, and God shows up. God shows up. God will meet you in your discouragement, but he will not let you stay there. Discouragement is not a long-term hotel option for you. You may spend a night there, but that's it. You know, you don't get to camp out in this spot. He will meet you in that. So what does God do? God wakes him up. God sends him comfort food, bread. I think that's a word from God for somebody today. I don't really know, but I think it is, right? And, and get this. He is strengthened in his physical body in order to do supernatural work. We cannot neglect the physical body in order to do the supernatural work, and God takes care of that. He sends that for him. He provides that. And then after he's done that, he draws him near. He's like, I've got, I want you to come a little closer. I, it's going to take you 40 days and 40 nights to get there, but I want you to get a little closer to me, so come to me. I'm going to bring you to this really, really important mountain. But here's the, the other point. It's not enough to be on holy ground. It's just not enough to be in the right space, okay? After he gets there and after God gets him in position, God shows up. It's great for us to get in the right space. It is great for us to come where we can hear God clearly, but now we have to listen and wait for him to show up. And this is what he says when he shows up, and I love this. What are you doing here, Elijah? 
What a strange question. You told me to come here. What do you mean? What am I doing here, right? Uh, and and I, I don't know. Maybe God is saying this to you today. I don't know where you are in your life, in your relationships, in your career, in your goals, in, in whatever you're struggling with. Is God saying, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And here is Elijah's wrong answer. This is not the correct answer, right? Here's what he says. Well, I've been very zealous for you, the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death by the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He's like, listen, I have, I've been very zealous. I have done my work, and by the way, it accomplished nothing. It accomplished nothing. The people are still rebellious. The people are still not following you. It doesn't appear that it's done any good at all. All those sermons I preached are not hitting anything. They're not, and we don't see any lasting change in anybody's life from that. And now, for that matter, I'm the only one left. The entire church has evaporated. The Christian community, the, the God community has evaporated. I am the only one left. This, by the way, is a terrible summary of the previous chapter. It is a terrible summary of the previous chapter. Now, I will get you, Elijah's a scary dude, and he has one servant, and he travels around, and he goes wherever God tells him to go, and he thinks that he's alone, but in the previous chapter, he happens to have a chance meeting with King Ahab's palace administrator by the name of Obadiah. Obadiah has one book in the Old Testament, and it's, it's a really fun Bible drill kind of situation because it's only one chapter, and it's really hard to find without like a book of contents, okay? Obadiah is the palace administrator. And during this chance meeting with Elijah, he says, Elijah, is that really you? And he's like, yeah, it's me. And he's going, dude, I, and, he, and Obadiah is a closet God lover. Ahab doesn't know this. And he goes, I have a hundred prophets hidden in two caves, 50 in one and 50 in the other, and I've been feeding and watering them and taking care of them during this crazy famine. Why is Elijah telling God he's the only one left? He knows full well that there are at least a hundred. If he doesn't know about anybody else, he knows that there is a hundred faithful men, faithful prophets, maybe women too, I don't know, faithful prophets, basically a seminary going on in a couple of caves where they probably could have used a little teaching from the professor if he would show up. But no, he's like, God, I'm the only one left. Here's what happens when we get into this kind of despair. You begin to exaggerate your condition. You begin to exaggerate how bad it is. That's not accurate at all. You begin to believe the lies. He begins to blame others. Well, God, if they would follow, I gave them all the right words and they aren't doing it. They aren't doing what you want them to do. He builds himself up as being the, the person who's done it all. He's the only one who's even trying. He's the only one who's lifted a finger. He congratulates himself on all the good that he has done as if to tell God, I deserve a ticket out. I deserve to get out of here. Don't we do this sometimes? Don't we exaggerate our condition and do all these things? And here's why it's a wrong answer. God never asked for Elijah's resume. He never asked him to give him a list of all the accomplishments and all the things he didn't do. That is not what God asked for him at all. And I love the fact that God doesn't even correct him here. He doesn't even correct him here. Um, instead, God says this. God invites Moses to go stand in the presence of God. In spite of the wrong answer that comes back to him, he says, come stand in the presence of God. Sometimes that's where we've got to go. 
When we are in the midst of despair, we have got to get in God's presence. I don't know where that is for you. I don't know if that means being in this building. I don't know if it means being with other believers. I don't know if it means being alone and and just really uh, seeking him. But here's the deal. Elijah has been hiding in a hole for safety, and God invites him to go stand in the elements on the edge of a mountain. He invites him to go stand in the danger of a windstorm to go stand in the danger of an earthquake, to go stand in the danger of of a fire, however big a fire that is. But God wasn't in the scary. He couldn't find God in the scary. And too many of us are busy looking for God in the scary. If you were raised or comfortable with fire and brimstone preachers, maybe that's all you feel good about. It's like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, if I feel really scared in church, then I know that I've gotten close to God. God isn't just in the scary. That's not what he, he didn't come to just tell you what for and to, and he's not out to get you. But sometimes we look for him in the scary and the loud, and we don't think that we can believe God unless we've been burned a little bit or shook, and yet God comes in the power of a whisper, power of a whisper. You know, we had a, a, the, our very first Rottweiler we got as a transfer, an adoption from an Air Force pilot who had trained this dog. Uh, her name was Yusafe, U-S-A-F-E, and, uh, and she was so well-trained because his wife was a runner, and he didn't like his wife to run without this dog with her, and so he had trained the dog that she, the dog didn't bark on a command like, uh, the dog barked at a whisper. If she leaned down and whispered in that dog's ear, that dog would go bananas, it was powerful, right? That's all she had to do was to get, it was an interesting way to train a dog. There is power in a whisper if we're trained to listen to it. And God comes to Elijah gently. He's like, you're discouraged. I'm going to come to you gently. And if you're going to hear a whisper, you've got to lean in close. You got to lean in in order to hear that whisper. And so God comes to him and again in this whisper and says, what are you doing here? And Elijah gives him the same spiel. I'm the only one here. And this is what God says to someone in despair. This is what God says to someone who is sick and tired of life, to someone who wants a ticket out of this mess, who's tired of being the only one who ever does anything right, who thinks that all of your good deeds haven't amounted to anything and you're tired of of even investing in these relationships anymore or this job anymore or whatever it is or this occupation anymore that you're just done. You're done. You thought life would be easier than this. Here's what God says. Are you ready? Three things. The first one, do your job. Do your job. When God says to Elijah, go anoint Jehu, go anoint Hazael, go anoint Elisha, that's his job. That's what he does. That's what prophets do. They anoint people. They put God's blessing on people. They were setting up the structure for this theocracy that they were supposed to be living under. And they were setting it up. That's the job. They are invoking God's blessing on those people. And that's what the job is. So when he tells him to go anoint people, it's not just namby-pamby stuff. He's going, who told you you could check out of your job? What made you think you could leave your job? Go do your job. That's what you're supposed to do. But he didn't say it as mean as I'm saying it right now. He's gently saying, do your job. Just go back and do your, go back the way you came 
and do the job. Quit trying to escape. Quit trying to hide out. Quit trying to protect yourself. Go engage the people I sent you to. Joshua 1.9 says this, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Stop hiding in discouragement or failure or fear. I don't know what you're avoiding. I don't know who God has called you to reach, but do your job. I'm telling you this, discouragement will sap your strength, and you're going to need some angel food cake or bread or something to get out of it. Do the things for your physical body that you need to do because discouragement will sap the physical strength you need to do the work that God has given you to do. And discouragement will keep you from giving your all where God has placed you. It will keep you from giving your all where he has placed you. God says, I will comfort you, I will provide for you, I will draw you near, and I promise you I will show up. I will show up. It may be in a whisper, it may not be in that fire you're looking for, but I will show up. Number two, finish strong. Finish strong. Elijah wants to check out a life. He is done. I'm one out of here. I've done it. I think I've done everything you told me to do. I got my commendations. I did the really big showdown at Mount Carmel. I really went out of here. And he is saying, no, you need to finish strong. First of all, you're not finished. You need to stay in it until you're done. And I'll tell you when you're done. By the way, this is the guy who gets the chariot ride off of the planet. And he wants to go out laying under a broom bush in the wilderness. And God is going, I'm not taking you out under a broom bush. If you think that's the way you're going to escape whatever God has told you to do. He's like, no, I have got such a graduation plan for you, buddy. You get the chariot of fire. I mean, we got songs about this. That's, I mean, we probably should have done that, you know, swing low, sweet chariot. That should have been our song for today. But uh, no, I mean, come on, Elijah, you have no idea what's ahead of you. 2 Corinthians 8, 11. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Let me say that again. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by its completion of it according to your means. Years and years ago, when we uh, lived in Oklahoma, we were in a, uh, a transition, almost ready to come to Kentucky, and we knew we couldn't leave immediately. It was kind of a long uh, transition, and it, it got kind of messy while we were there. And one of the things that we did to stay sane is we, uh, we were gym rats. I know it doesn't look like it now, but believe me, one day we were, and we were gym rats, and we hung out at the YMCA, which was the only gym that was in town, and it was the tiniest YMCA I've ever seen, um, even smaller than, than Richmond's set up here, and um, the room where all of the strength machines were for a circuit were like, I don't know, they could never social distance. They were maybe two foot apart, and you kind of had to go from one to the next all the way around, like a little 20 by 20 room. And so to, to give you direction, there was a sign on the wall that said start, right? And that's where you, you started. You didn't have to, but that's where you started your circuit, and you got all the way around, and the last machine was the leg machine. I don't know what you call that thing, but where you're kicking that thing out, right? And, and everything faced the wall, not mirrors, faced the wall, and on that wall was a sign that said finish. So it was start and finish, and that's how you knew where you were, you were going to begin and where you were going to end. And so as I was sitting on that stupid machine so many days in a row, and I looked up, and I kept looking at that sign that said finish, 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 and it took on new meaning for me. 
finish. Finish strong. Don't quit. It didn't say this is the end. It said, do the work of finishing. Do the work of completing whatever it is that God has given you to do. Somebody said it this way. Do the next thing in front of you. Sometimes we want release from our situations and we want new orders, like in the military. Can you just give me new orders? I want to go to Guam next. Can you just, I just want off of this base. Can we go somewhere else? I want new orders. When you don't know what to do, do the next thing God put in front of you. Let me put it another way. Keep doing the last thing God told you to do until he changes the assignment. When he changes the assignment, then you can do the new thing. I don't know how that fits you right now and where you are, but I'm telling you that is advice to live by. When you don't know what to do, you do the next thing in front of you that God gave you. Quit getting the long view and getting discouraged and sitting under broom trees. Do the next thing. Don't quit. Finally, number three. This is what I think God says to somebody who's discouraged. Pass on my power. Pass on my power. He's going out to anoint. He didn't know it yet, but God just announced who's going to take his place. He said, you're going to go anoint Elisha, who is the next prophet in line, who's going to take Elijah's place and actually do a lot of things. We have more accounts of the mighty works of Elisha than we ever do of Elijah. Okay, and he's going to go and anoint Elisha, and Elisha is going to come and walk alongside of him, and they're going to be buds for a while while he is in training. When you pass on your power to someone, it isn't usually just like a handoff in football, like, here it is. No, it is a walking side by side with someone so that they learn what they're doing. Elijah thought he was done. Scholars believe that he maybe lived another mm, five to ten years training Elisha in the work of profiting, of learning how to be a prophet. That's what he ended up doing in his latter years, and he's going to need to do that. And that really, folks, is discipleship, right? He's like, you're not done, you're not done yet. You need to keep teaching because you have to teach and train the new prophet. This is how it goes down in 2 Kings 2.9. When they had crossed um, this river, Elijah, said, Elijah, Elijah says to Elisha, tell me what I can do before I am taken from you. He knew God was about to take him home this time, and he isn't under a broom bush. And he said, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Elisha asked for that. Have you, have you been walking with anybody where you would like a double portion of their spirit? For that matter, does anybody walk with you that would want a double portion of your spirit? Are you discipling anybody? Is there anybody because of their relationship to you, they are growing closer to Jesus? Are you having that kind of influence on someone? We've got to pass this on. And I don't just mean to your children. It's expected that we're going to pass on uh, the power of God to our children and that they're going to learn from us. But I'm talking about our peers. Are you training anyone in the ways of Jesus? We need to be looking for that. We need to be looking for those opportunities. Folks, sometimes when we're weary, we just want to sit down. Sometimes we want to ticket out of our situation. Sometimes we want to talk God into picking somebody else and, and letting us out of this. We want a new assignment when God has asked us to finish the one we're in. Some of us have forgotten our mission to pass on our relationship with Jesus to someone else. I don't know if any of that stirs your heart this morning. 
But here's what we're going to do. We like to finish our services in prayer, and normally we have our prayer team up here. But during this time of distancing, we know they can't hear one another well. So the prayer team is out there in the commons area. If you're online, you can go to the prayer chat. Somebody's waiting for you there. But during this last song, if God has been speaking to you in any way about these circumstances surrounding Elijah's discouragement, can I just invite you to go get somebody to pray over you? You don't have to give them all the details. You can just go up and say, you know what? I just pray. Just pray. Pretend you can't hear them and they can't hear you, and they will. They'll just pray. And the Spirit will give them what they need to say over you. Anytime during this last song, you're welcome to do that. Let's come to our feet as they sing.